are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. All right, Primal Radio, we're back. Woo, man, made it to the studio when time had to. Uh, Tom and I had to uh, do the show at a different time uh, this week, and then uh, we had to jump around different things, different appointments that we had going on. So last minute, I got people to cover the gym, you know, do a uh, cover class, do whatever they had to do, and then I rushed on to the world-famous Primal Studios here in uh, Trenton, New Jersey. <laughs> so, Tom, what's up, buddy? I'm good, man. Uh, I say that every single week. I, I listen you, back to the show and I think, can't you come up with something more original than that? But um, I, I need like a catchphrase not. or something. Right. All good sidekicks should have a catchphrase, surely. They should. They should. And, and a cape and a, and a weapon or something. So I had, and I, I had a cup of tea. I made a cup. Of, how do you make a proper cup of tea, Tom? You're the tea guy. I love tea. That's but I, I'm sure I'm way trash when it comes to drinking the okay, tea. Okay, so the important thing apparently is to apparently. put a tea bag in, boiling water, let it brew, and then you add your splash of milk afterwards. Now, I do it the, the other way that most British people disagree with, which is they you do. put the milk in first. Now, the good thing about that is if you've got fine china, which I imagine you've got quite a lot of. <laughs> I, I do. I love, I love my china. The boiling <laughs> water won't crack the china. And the other right. thing is it stops you from needing a spoon to like stir it. It's like, true. It just gets mixed up. But it, that's frowned upon. So uh, don't follow my advice. I've in got certain, a Moroccan mint In certain circles, it's frowned here. upon. Mm. Right. So you put, you put sugar and cream in it? No. No, not for me. Just a splash of milk. Really? No, no, no experiment. Sugar. Find what you like. No honey. <laughs> uh, no. Have you tried it with these things, or is it too risque? <laughs> Who knows? Look, I I like tea. It's expensive. Like if you go to a star, the crazy thing if you, you have Starbucks there, I guess right. Um. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something like a Starbucks. Well, you go in for a hot cup of water and a tea bag. It's like six bucks. It's yeah, fucking it's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's nuts. You know, first of all, years ago, was where the hell was it? I went to, um, and you met me there. We were in Salerno, Italy. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I get to I get to I get to uh, airport. It wasn't so. What airport that I go to? I forget. But I go there, and Nicholas, who was to pick me up. And I guess he had the wrong day or whatever. Thank God for Facebook because I lay into the airport. I'm walking around the airport and parts of Italy, really not that many people speak English or it's limited. It's not like other parts of Europe. And I'm like, what the fuck? Nobody's here. And it's a small little airport I'm at. And then I Facebook Nick and said, Nick, uh, Sifu, what's going on? I'm at the airport. Oh, sorry, Sifu. He comes right over. Anyway, long and short, I'm at the airport. And when you're in America, you get a, a large cup of tea or whatever, or coffee. It's ginormous. You know, it's enough for a week. As you've been here multiple times, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, and I'll and they big. give me, right, they give me a little piece of china, a little teacup, like the, like a, my little daughter would have played when she was a little kid, you know, and I'm going, <laughs> you're kidding me. Who can drink this, you know? Sit down with china. And, you know, one sip later, I'm ready for another cup. But I think we'll cut this whole section out, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> why would you cut it out uh i don't think people listen to us to find out about tea and coffee who gives a fuck about they want to know how to kill people they do okay let's get to killing you can kill people with a cup of tea and i do have another interesting story if you want to hear it it's not about tea though it's actually about fighting let's do it all right so here you go so <clears throat> You've heard my stories about City Gardens, the old club I used to work at in Trenton, New Jersey, right? Yeah. So very famous club. Tons of bands played there throughout the years. A who's who of uh, alternative bands and alternative lifestyles came to this club. So when I got the job, it's because I knew somebody and and it was it was a culture shock. You're exposed to all different kinds of skinheads and music and it was just total craziness. It was a very rough club and I got in fights every single night. Bar none, there was fights at some level, yeah. some far more vicious than others. So one of my, so one of my job was to go into the mosh pit and take that 
out of the club. So, so you'd stand on the side of the club, the mosh pit. The mosh pit would hold shit, 500 plus people. A lot of people throwing elbows, knees, smashing their bodies against each other. I'd see a fight. And sometimes, by the way, it's not that easy to tell if there's a fight going on. So I would jump down, run through the crowd, and have to choke slam that motherfucker and drag him out the door. Now, one of the ways, and this had to happen at lightning fast speed. Music was deafening. Henry Rollins would be on there. The Ramones would be deafening. So then I had to take this guy out and to expedite their uh, exit from the club, I'd use their head to open the door. <laughs> I'd smash their head. They go flying out on the concrete. You know, I go, have a good evening and shut the door. So a guy came into the, into the gym. Now, this happened years ago with a guy named James Hunt. But this guy came into the, into the gym the other night. And for whatever reason, uh, City Gardens kept, maybe saw a picture on the wall. City Gardens came up. He'd gone to pretty much every show for years and years at a time frame that I was there. And, and then he said, you probably threw me out, right? And I said, oh, you know, I threw out a lot of guys. I said, yeah, I used to take them and use their, and, and as I'm saying this, he finished my sentence. He goes, yeah, I used to use their head to open the door. He goes, you threw me out, motherfucker. <laughs> this is 25 years later. This is one of the survivors, you know? Um, and <laughs> so then we exchanged, you know, all, all old stories. He knew the story. You remember me telling you a story about this little Asian kid? Yeah, yeah, went, yeah, with the uh, gas. Right, so here you go. So I... So as we're sharing stories about City Gardens and all the bands that had played there and all the craziness that had gone out, I said, yeah, I said, this one night, this little Asian kid, he goes, Alex. He knew yeah. the guy's fucking name. I said, that was it, because I couldn't remember his name off the top of it. He still knows this guy. He's a DJ in New York City. And it was, what are the odds of that? He joined the club anyway, despite me throwing him on his ass 25 years ago. <laughs> so he did, it's he didn't hold league. any grudges then. No, well, he figured he probably deserved it, you know. But he was a regular. There was a whole bunch of people at that time in the clubs that were regulars. They would come to every single show, you know. Sometimes it would be three or four shows there a week, and they would just come to every show. It was relatively inexpensive, quite honestly, 10, 20 bucks to get in to see it. Like Nirvana had played there, stuff like that, you know. Yeah. So, And they were, they were known in much smaller circles. It was before they made the big time, you know. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see the guy. So he's a great guy, and he... Uh, he's now a part of our close quarter combatives group. <laughs> Learn how not to get thrown out by a club. So I'm waiting years from now. You'll see a like a, a, an Oprah show, and there'll be an audience full of survivors who were thrown out <laughs> by me. You know, these guests you threw out all 100 of these people on their head, but uh, but you had to get them out. It was it wasn't a personal thing. It was business. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, he, that was a he doesn't hold any grudges. That's good. The first thing I wanted to ask you about was actually like the Olympics um, and right. two, two things that's going on there. One, um, I saw Scrap's first day back in the gym post-shoulder injury. How's he looking for the trials? Real good. He's, uh, he's working hard. We got a couple of interesting things that are going on. People were speaking to about, um, I can't really speak to that specifically, those potential uh, opportunities, uh, but he's looking good. Yeah, his shoulder kind of took him out for a little bit. So um, he uh, is getting back in and moving around, and uh, there'll be great things coming. So everything's on court, on course. It was just sometimes injuries happen, you know, little things. Especially, look, as a, a, a shoulder injury for a boxer, you're kind of fucked, you know. It's the timing of it, I guess, that's the main issue. It was bad timing, but it can be circumvented because I spoke to the powers that be. Okay. That clarifies it. Okay. Does um, it clarify it? Yeah, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I'm not, I'm not sure whether you're aware of this, but there's a dispute between the governing body of the Olympics and the World Amateur Boxing Organization or, 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 I, or similar. Is it IEBA they're having conflict with? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I, I, um, okay. I, I don't know all the details. You may know more than me, but there's a risk at present, a meeting in about a month's time, that right. could mean that... Um, it's not sanctioned for as an Olympic sport at 2020. Uh, well, I had not heard that. That's kind of interesting. So the sanctioning, the world sanctioning body of amateur boxing is called IEBA. They oversee USA boxing and I guess whatever that equal would be in Britain or in you know Poland or wherever. 
And I wonder what that dispute is. It, it, it didn't say what the actual dispute was. It was to do with corruption. Um, oh, there's a shitload of corruption there. Yeah, and uh, I wish now I had more details, and Dr. Watson might be able to fill us in if he was on right. the show. But um, right. uh, I, th- I thought you m- you might be aware of all of that. I, sh- I should have teed I- you up ahead of time. That's okay. Um, look, because I have an MMA show coming up in one week, so the world could be blowing up, and I would not know it because <laughs> of all the things that go. And I also have a, 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 a boxing event a month after that. So I am unaware, but there could be. And let's address corruption. But throughout boxing history, there's been shitload of corruption, whether it be amateur or pro, even at local levels. Uh, in the last Olympics, who was the Irish guy? Conley? Was that the kid's name? Yeah. Who, who lost an incredibly terrible decision, and he wigged out, giving the judges the fingers and all that stuff, which I get was unsportsmanlike. But there was no way on the planet Earth he lost that fight. That's right. So, right, so how did this happen? You know, let's face it, if you were in, if the Olympics are in South Korea and that little fat guy tells you to vote for the Korean, um, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to vote for the Korean guy because they're going to kill your family. So, unfortunately, right, because in boxing, gymnastics, whatever it might be, it's in the judge's hands often. And and that's that subjective point of view. You know, obviously, many, many times when history, it happened to Jesus, it happened to Roy Jones Jr. Uh, you know, it happened to many fighters where uh, the decision was just so absolutely absurd. You know, and and it, it makes you wonder, you know, how that can be done. Now, I don't know what the solution was. Years ago, what they did, Tom, amateur boxing back in the day, Sugar Ray Leonard stuff, amateur 1976 Olympics, you scored amateur boxing like the pros. And then they switched to years later where they switched to um, where it was um, – you scored it where you there would be four judges around the uh, around the uh, ring, and then if we all hit the button at the same time or within a reasonable amount of time, you would score a point for you know this guy or that guy. Well, of course, if I wanted to mess with the uh, scoring at that time, I could just not. So it wasn't safe. Also, it became where it was if I touched you more than you touched me, you'd win the round. Which, you know, you got to, what was your blow as effective as mine? You know, I can't just be touching you. So it's now back to the pro rules. And actually, they'll be fighting with no headgear. But that's kind of interesting. I I don't see them not having boxing. It'll get straightened out. Did it make it seem like they weren't going to have it as a result? Yeah, that's that's 100% the the vibe. I'm I'm, I'm kind of reading reading about it on the fly here. Um, But, you know, scandal hit and all the stuff that they're trying to clean up, blah, blah, blah. Boxing's problems swelled at 2016 Olympics, it says here, um, in Rio, when 36 officials and a referee were suspended and then investigated over bout-fixing claims. And then there's issues with the president, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, interesting stuff there. Right, right, right. They won't solve it. (laughs) I have no faith in it. It'll still suck. There'll still be a crap decision. Look, and, and then there's, of course, incompetence, you know, often that these judges have. But anyway, so who knows? Who knows? Indeed. Indeed. So what else? First one I've got here is kind of getting old. And by that, I mean getting old gracefully. (laughs) Why would you ask me that, motherfucker? (laughs) (laughs) Something Andy talks about sometimes is about people kind of dining out on past glories. And there's a lot of guys... I guess they'll continually hark back to, I did this, or I used to do that. And right, then there's absolutely. guys like you who, who are still out there doing it every day. So fun. There's a, another thing I wanted to throw into the, into the mix with some of these award ceremonies. So we see in, in the UK, people kind of pay for a table. Right. And as part That's of that, weird. they seem to end up with right. some sort of award, uh, martial arts award. And then just the, like, the level of time served you know, I've done martial arts for 50 years. Yeah, but you only only train one day a week. Those, right. You know. Sorry. So that's funny. That's interesting, Tom. So ironically, on what you just said, uh, aging gracefully. <laughs> right. So out of the blue, and I don't think I told you this, so that's so ironic that you had – I had this guy call me because, you know, in our small circle, I'm, I'm kind of known for whatever, right? And I moved pretty damn good. Like I've just put up a clip of – it was a couple years old, but – I moved. Actually, I moved better than that now, and I was doing whatever. So it was like a little video, right? Yeah, I saw that. So right, it was cool. So um, this guy um, calls me up and starts talking to me, 
Uh, he moved into New Jersey and he thought he was closer. Anyway, he goes, look, man, big fan. I really appreciate you make all us old guys look good. <laughs> and I go, I swear to God, I go, fuck you. <laughs> right. I think you know, he was meeting by a compliment and I was joking around with him, you know, because I am over 50 now and I move like a much younger man. First of all, as far as training goes, I train every day and I've trained my training just so I can be healthy and be stretching on boxing. Shit. I think Monday I sparred 25 or 30 rounds on Monday. Full contact rounds with a variety of people. And I, ironically, I've stayed away from swine, but I felt inspired that day to spar. Um, yeah, I got a couple of shiners, hurt my hand, but nothing's going to stop me. Then the next day, I'll do something completely different. So I'm always trying to invent the, reinvent the wheel for myself and get better and faster and stronger. And I got to tell you, right now, I feel probably better than I've felt in, I cannot tell you how many years. I'm on the mat rolling. I'm doing my JKD and my combatives and my stick. And fuck, I feel good. Four, sleep four hours a night, go all day. I don't know what there's a secret, but I think I'm better now than I was before. Is that possible, you think? Or you think that's just in my head? I, c I can kind of relate to that. I've just done like four or five weeks of training and, and really not felt myself. And this last week, I've just suddenly, you know, that power and strength sort of starting to come back. And it, it's a really great feeling. I, before we started talking, I was playing football, soccer, and... It was the first game I've played where I kind of like felt, you know, like I was maybe not dominating, but, you know, I was really, uh, my old self. And I, I do think you can roll back the years through sensible training and through right. adapting your game. So you might say, look, I'm not I'm not quite as fast, but I can achieve X, Y and Z. I can do this, that and the other differently. You know, I can train my perceptual speed. I can work right. on things that aren't going to require the same level of flexibility, perhaps. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'd definitely say I'm a better fighter now than I am. I was 10 years ago. I mean, oh, so that, right. that's kind of obvious, but, <laughs> but I hadn't started. I'd, I'd only just started around then, but, um, right. I mean, what, what should people do? I, I, I guess it comes from like watching videos and I, a lot of guys, you know, they've got a, a, a famous reputation, yeah. but they've not developed in like, you know, they have whatever they were doing and famous for in the. 80s and 90s they've not pressed on they've not evolved and improved on on what they do they're not training they're not developing their strength should they i guess disappear into the background a little bit and you know be one of those guys that stand stands at the side and gives their bits of input or should they dive in and be developing what what's what's the right approach I would try to get try to develop constantly and learn new things. Because as I grow older and whatever that might be, I have to reinvent it for myself personally. Uh, I actually was interesting. I was having a conversation with a mutual friend of ours just the other day. And I was talking about. It, I said I thought like I've jumped up a couple of levels in my deeper understanding of what I'm doing, and it like it was it was like not unlike you know a caliper becoming a butterfly all of a sudden i went through a metamorphosis in that another level to me is an understanding my organization of it how i'm approaching training quasi even if it's not true i feel it's that way so i guess it's true enough but and i'm not sure there's any one thing i think it's constant persistence at it you know day in and day out i'm constantly analyzing what i'm doing at whatever level and then uh giving it to and oh by the way we've always talked about being open to other people what they have to say sitting back and not always being the authority on everything. Even if you know more than that motherfucker you're talking to, let them talk. Maybe they got something. Maybe they'll come up with one gem, you know, and then go, oh, okay, you know, let it be. Uh, when someone comes up with an idea when I'm training stuff, I don't always, by the way, have to have an opinion on it in that exact moment. I can sit back and digest it for a while mm. and then go back and revisit later. So that's what I try to do when I, when I do that stuff. But, um, I know that that's that that's how I would do it personally. Now I personally know guys who, you know, not only at the top of the food chain, but are, have done whatever, and they just, you know, want to be that guy, and they cease training. They're always kind of standing, observing, and criticizing. But they're not. They're, the reality is their skill set's going down. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and so you got to get on the mat. You got to wrestle, and it can be approached differently. You know, I've been, you know, I was unable to grapple for a while because my knee, uh, you know, ten hours a week just playing old grappling and moving. And you know what? I don't think I've gone above, you know, blue belt level, so to speak, as far as technique. Quasi, you don't need to anyway. Yeah, But right. just, and, and making my moves so smooth down there and my 
uh, transitions incredibly smooth uh, that I feel fantastic. You know, almost fully recovered from that. And I, I had to come back and reinvent a few things, but uh, that was a great thing to going back and being humbled and going, hmm, how can I approach it and continue to make this work for me? You know, and then by the way, I think that helps us teach someone else too. Because if you can't teach everyone a cookie cutter style, I can't anyway. I don't know how people do it or do it, but but uh, that, that's how that works for me. So. so I was listening to our guest Buck Grant's podcast, and what? he had a guy called Cameron Shea, um, who's down in uh, Florida, who does Budokan. Are you, are you familiar with him? No. No, he's he's quite he's quite a well known guy. He's in incredible shape. He's probably like fifty something, and kind of like from the neck down, he looks like twenty five, and he's got great what? tattoos and all that kind of thing. Anyway, on 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 this this show, he was talking about building leaders, is how martial arts should be doing that, and it made me think of something that we were talking about with Pat. What Pat was saying has Andy builds soldiers, Pat builds leaders. Right. And he wasn't saying that in a derogatory way towards Andy. It, what he was saying is, you know, you need soldiers, you need you need to have those fundamentals. Andy will teach a well-defined syllabus, get you doing lots of repetitions and stress testing where Pat's view. And I, I asked him about it today because I wanted him to sort of expand on upon it and then sort of get your, your take on this. But he was saying, look, you need to become a leader if you are a follower you'll never progress and he sort of cited some of the guys not anyone specific but sort of saying you know if, if you're worshipping Danny Santo and he's always the top guy how do you ever surpass him always strive to be the shepherd he said not the sheep as we know what happens to the sheep and he wants to kind of work with everyone from brown belt upwards and see that they're kind of developing those leadership attributes challenging what's being delivered really thinking about etc is that something that you try to do or, or you kind of see that happening naturally when you're teaching that you know leadership traits are getting built in the people you're teaching yeah no i absolutely focus on it because no, look when i'm doing this stuff with guys i tell them from point one you want to be a black belt to do whatever it is even if you're planning to teach publicly or not you need to know all those aspects you have to be leader you have to take control and some people fit into those roles much more easily than others but um, I absolutely try to develop that in that person because there's a lot being asked. By the way, no matter how we look at it, people look up to you as their senior brother or sister in, in martial arts, in boxing, whatever. So you need to take that leadership step and lead from the front, you know. Um, and that's a big deal. A lot of guys want to stand around and point their finger and tell you what to do, but they won't get down and get dirty. <laughs> so. I think that's how, how I like to show these guys. This is what we need to do. And then, you know, ask those the, the pertinent questions. And, and I try to encourage people to think about what they're doing. A, a more of a sense of how to think than I'm more concerned with and how to approach the martial arts than I am that you being a master of throwing a finger jab. It's an interesting way of thinking about it, that idea of the soldier to the officer or general, because right. you do need... I do see people who come in, you know, and it's like constant. There's too many questions. They haven't done the reps. They haven't got the basics. And yeah. that drilling, for certainly for the early stages, makes a lot of sense to get you nailed down as a soldier, doing that syllabus to a certain standard. I think the leadership thing is about personal growth, the ability to teach. And right. these are the kind of characteristics you want to see in someone who becomes a black belt. Right. I agree completely. <laughs> what do you want me to argue with you or what? No, 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 no. Next question I wanted to ask you about some of your approach to approach towards training. So when you're working with everyone, obviously there's temptations to just get them fighting, fighting, fighting. Massive developments in terms of the scientific side of, of fighting. You've got a, a very well equipped gym to deal with a lot of those components. So what when you're working with your guys, and I know everyone has different goals, but to what extent would you advocate working with like weight training, um, functional training, you know, CrossFit as, as an example, you know, versus your actual martial arts, combat sports, etc., um, endurance training, things like running, and then obviously yoga, stretching, injury prevention work. Right. You want to do it all. There's the problem, right? And the problem is, they're prioritizing when we're going to do it and what we're doing. That depends on that individual, the best athlete they can be. Well, you have to have a happy dance between weight training and 
functional mobility, stretching, right? Of course, at the end of the day, if you're trying to be some sort of a fighter, the skills have to be done. That has to be a priority, learning how to throw a punch, a kick, or a tackle, or whatever that might be. So you have to have that happy dance. Because all those guys, too, by the way, who are technique-based and are completely out of shape, you know, where they couldn't go one round, you know? Yeah. So if the fight lasted 10, more than 10 seconds, they're done. Or if they don't have their knife or their stick in their hand, they're done. If the fight got taken to the ground, they're done. So you have to have that healthy mix. And there, that's where the artist, it, it is not, you know, just we do this for however long. For me, when I train people, often the, the art of how I teach is I watch them move. I can, uh, and I'll go, hmm, okay, we need to work on this aspect. I need to see you do this. Everything else doesn't matter that day. Maybe that's just the pendulum step or whatever, a curve right or something like that. And we'll work that incessantly in every possible combination just to get that in there. And the next day it might be something completely different. But it is a happy is because I try to do as much as I can and, of course, stay healthy, you know. Um, and there's not an exact way to do it. Some people can handle more of one thing than another. But we do have a lot of people who try to do everything all at once, too. That becomes a, another issue. Younger guys and girls going to kill it every time, walk out of that gym bleeding, so to speak. Of course, you have the other side of the coin where people who don't even want to sweat. <laughs> so... It is a challenge. It's a dance. What were you going to say, Tom? When guys like join up, is is one of the first things you ask them. You know, what are your goals and aspirations? You know, are you planning to fight in the ring? What you know, what are your what what are these guys looking to come out of it? Or does that come out as a kind of more natural, fluid process throughout the training? It's a natural, fluid process. Not a fucking clue what they want. <laughs> I do like my sunny disposition. They uh, they don't. They don't really know. I want to get in shape. I want to lose weight. I want to. They'll learn some boxing. They don't even know why. So I don't push it one way or the other. When I train you, I train you to be a, you know, if you're doing boxing, I'm going to train you like I train scrap or, or heat, you know, or, 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 or other, other guys. I train you the same way conceptually. You know, I'm not taking anything back. Might not be as in depth with a new guy, but the same concept is there. And then they'll develop. You'll see how they go. I also have a proponent of putting out there, a lot out there for them to see how far there's, they're limited. You know, why am I holding them back saying, well, today we're just doing that. And there's a part of that. But sometimes I throw out two or three steps above them to see if they can handle it. And often they can. So then I go, ooh, they handled that pretty good. I can go this much further with them, which expedites their their study of martial arts. And then, you know, if, if they haven't got an objective, then how are you kind of measuring progress? How do I measure progress? By just watching and observing them. That's it. There's not, there's, it's, it's more than just their actual performance and it's their understanding of it, you know? And then once I see they have one thing at, at, cause I'm very much on the floor doing this stuff. I'm not sitting on a pulpit and then I'll say, okay, well, Tom's got this down, this down. I'm going to pull Tom to the side, work with him and put some thoughts in his head. And I'll tell him, Hey Tom, this is what I want you to work. And this are the reasons why. All right. So let's get good at this. And then we'll, I'll bring it back and wrap it around. So that happens as well. You know, or in the class for and maybe you need something, and I make the whole class do everything that you need to have done, just because it's probably good for everyone too, if it's good for you. But there's not an exact something written on a piece of paper, which probably drives a lot of people crazy. <laughs> but I do have a curriculum down. I got more notes than probably anybody you know on the planet. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> I did that for me so I can memorize them. You know. I mean, what one thing you and I have talked about is like the uh, using kind of management toolkit a management toolkit and, and applying that to your training so one thing i like is like you know the 80 20 rule and that's mm -hmm. something I'm, I'm applying to like the weightlifting a bit at the moment because I, I know i get the most gains so to speak from the big three or the big five you know bench pressing squats sure. and deadlifts almost every session i'm working those unless i know I'm, if, if i'm playing you know football that night then i might skip legs but i'm kind of doing that pretty much every session at the moment and that's working real well for me how how can people sort of apply that to their training how can they or yeah like the different man management tools i mean we've talked about swot analysis before for example right i mean it, right what well what is your, what are you what's your priority to training is it to be a boxer a wrestler mma guide self-defense and then you go from there you know, instead of being all over the place, today I'm doing legs, tomorrow I'm doing this, because they read it in a magazine or saw it on a YouTube video. You have to get really specific in your head as to what you want to do. And then a lot of times, like I said, people don't know that, so you have to guide them in that direction. 
you need to do this. And a lot of people just go, okay, and they do it. <laughs> Very rarely do I get pushback as a result of guiding someone in a direction, gently guiding them in that direction where I think they need to go, you know, for them, you know, so that's, there's, there's, for me, there's just no cookie cutter way to approach it. It's very eclectic, very from that moment, what I see needs to be done. And that can be challenging, <laughs> you know, but I think it's the way for me to go. That's how I work best. And that's how my students get best. I mean, I've got people, Tom, who've been with me since 95. It's a long time. Actually, or in that, I think 93. You'd think I would have taught them everything by now, but I'm holding back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's actually a question that I did want to get on to later on. So maybe I'll jump onto that now. But um, right. do you, I have a tendency when I teach to kind of share as much as I can and not hold anything back. Mm, that's what's, good. what's your approach to that? I like to do that too. Just give you everything. I'm an open book. Um, sometimes there's such a thing as too much information. And so you can touch it. So there's a teaching process called whole part whole. So you do the whole thing. Here's the big scenario, the big picture. And then I'm going to break it down into these minute parts. We'll master the kicking, the punching, the wrestling. And then I'll bring it back together again for you. So it's good to see, hey, this is our destination and this is where we want to go. So I do I do like that. Uh, but sometimes too much information. And then they delve on that, uh, go to that one. I'll give you an example. I'm teaching catch wrestling the other night. And whatever we were doing, it was, across, it doesn't matter the moves. But then there's, 20 possibilities off that move and then you see people experimenting and going down those 20 possibilities and i had to sit down and go guys that, that's great i appreciate your enthusiasm but if we go down and answer all these possibilities we're never going to get good at the foundational moves that allow us to go to those possibilities because yeah. you won't have that down so none of that will ever happen if you don't build that foundation so i do encourage that experimentation and that exploration but you have to pull it back Right. So I do that. I say today is hockey. I said today's finger jab day. Whatever we do, it ends in a finger jab. Right. It doesn't matter that you could have punched him, shot him, kicked him. Everything ends in a finger jab. And that's how you get what good at a finger jab. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, right. I think for, for me, I've, I've sometimes felt. Well, I feel like if, if you teach them everything, they're going to a lot of them won't work it hard enough to actually really get master those skills. And you know, that's sure. part of it. I think the bit that I kind of worry about more is those kind of guys. And you, you will have had them as well where you show them that thing and then they f kind of think they've got it. Then they start telling their friends in the pub and all that kind of thing. You think, well, I actually went and studied with some cool guy like Jim McCann or, or Pat O'Malley to learn that. And that's why I've got those, th those skills in my locker and I'm sharing them with you, but you're you're kind of like you you almost don't deserve them. But I, I think you know my natural right. instinct for me is still to give those skills well, to those guys. When you're throwing that much out there, are they getting lost? Do you think? Do you? Does it look like they're staring into space? A little. Sometimes you know, if I'm teaching our JKD guys, I'll throw in a bit of FMA because you know it gives them something that's a bit outside the box and those will be new skills to those guys and uh, uh, you know f frankly they always kind of enjoy it and i think there's, there's a lot of crossover there but yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny it's true okay so i've been working on uh, this thing with theory practice and uh reality a and how the three intertwine have you ever given that any thought tom no, I'm th thinking about it now. Gone. <laughs> well, hey, take your time. We're on the air. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in physics, right, they say in theory, in theory, practice and theory are the same. In practice, we know they're not, right? Yeah. And in practice, often we make the mistake of assuming practice and reality are the same. And we know that in reality, it's a completely different picture. That's right. Right. So how, and you have to dance in all those worlds to grow as a martial artist. So how do we go about doing that, right? And that's that therein lies the challenge because you, you can't perfectly replicate reality, you know, because of all of the circumstances. It's not a laboratory. It's not a fixed thing that's going on. There's so many things, his strength, his size, the turf, right, that you're on. Are you on cement? You're on concrete. Is it snowing? Are there multiple opponents? So many things, the adrenaline, what's going on in the day? What's going on in your mind? So many things happen in reality that you can't replicate in practice. And then when you practice, that practice has to be mindful practice. We start in first grade, second grade, 
and we work up that food chain till we get the closest possible to uh, replicating reality. And it all started as a theory, but there's an interesting twist between all three and how to circumvent that. So I've been just working that in my head and how to go about doing that. And it's not that easy to do because how many guys that we know are practicing techniques, styles, and systems that will never work on this planet, <laughs> right? But they'll spend an inordinate amount of time doing it and just ignoring that fact it won't work. That's right. That, right. And I, by the way, I have no problem with a guy doing that as long as they realize, hey, you're not going to probably pull that off. But that's, it's fun to do. That's right. That's right. I think I like to think the vast majority of the moves that I work, you know, hundreds, you know, they do work. Um, Right. And, you know, they work the vast majority of the time. Um, you know, JKD is all about doing a few things very well. Um, and I try to apply that right. kind of mindset to to the FMA stuff as well. Um, but like you said, you can't account for the number of variables that you're going to face in, right. the, in the big wide world. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know quite how you fully build that into your training. You don't. Know? And I'm going to tell you, so the Navy SEALs, and I'm sure other special forces throughout the world, you know, uh, the term I heard now, I don't know if this is exactly right, but maybe I'm paraphrasing, okay, so we'll kind of work with that, is that you could only be like 70% sure of the outcome, despite your training. Yeah. So that means, and this is part of it, right? So let's, so let's assume that's the number. Let's assume that's correct. So 70, so I train my balls off. I do every scenario possible. I'm only 70% sure that that jab cross hook is going to work. There's 30% of the time that brings in all those intangibles that I can't control, right? How do I know that I can handle those that extra 30%? Well, that's through that mindful practice, that scenario-based training, which allows me to overcome and adapt and adjust on that moment. And you'll only know in that moment if your training was good. There's the downside of it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Or an MMA guy or something to say, well, it's not field tested. It's not, you can't fully fight in that aspect. Doesn't mean it doesn't work. There's a reason you can't punch a guy in the throat and practice because he won't be practicing with you tomorrow. <laughs> so, you're, so guess what? You have to simulate it, right? You know, so not everything can be practiced to the fullest extent. But it's an interesting concept that I'm just kind of trying to flesh out in greater detail for myself, for no one else. And that's how it usually starts for me. I think of an idea and I go, hmm, I'm going to explore that idea. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing about it, but I'm just going to do it and see see how it works. And then I try to bring it around to my study of martial arts or fitness or whatever. Like I've told you about Occam's razor, right? No, go on. You know what Occam's razor? Okay, Occam's razor. It okay, it, it's simply, it's it, it keep it simple, stupid is essentially what it is. Yeah. Often the, the simplest explanation or the simplest way to do something is often the answer. It's JKD. Right. But yeah. go to a martial arts seminar instead of me just reaching over and punch, as Bob Remember said, or saying what Bruce said, so you just reach over and punch the guy. Tackett says that all the time. That's often the simple solution. But to sell videotapes, DVDs, the whole entire program, we got to do 10 things. Yeah. There's in, interesting stats about when your heart rate goes up above 175 beats per minute, I think it is that you're, you know, you get tunnel vision. So your field of vision is normally 113 degrees, it drops down to 40 degrees. And your fine motor skills, your ability to do fine motor skill movements, like, for example, locking in martial arts or, you know, grabbing your keys when you need to escape from Freddy Krueger or something like that, that those, those skills are, are no longer there. And, and therefore, working those bigger motor skills, such as big crosses and major punches and strikes, that's going to have more effect. All right, so here's the question. So let's assume that's correct. Does it mean that you can't still excel or, or develop that skill once your heart rate's gone beyond that? I think you cannot. If your heart rate's above that, no, probably not. But Why not? What, <laughs> I think what the answer is, is that someone like you, maybe in that situation where it's all going off, because you've been in that situation so many times, wow. Wow. your heart rate might not hit the heights that most other people's would with the adrenaline, etc., that's involved. And therefore, you might still have a bit more of those fine mode skills. But I think what you can do, and we, we you've got the caveman jiu-jitsu, for example, is right. rather than going for a really fine small circle jiu-jitsu move, go for something that's a bit more macro level, you know, um, right. uh, 
you know, some sort of figure four arm bar, something something that, that you can make work despite having adrenaline rushing through your veins. Right. No, it's true. I, I agree. I, I, it's just a question. I'm not sure, you know, how does a pilot do that, a fighter pilot or a boxer in, in the ring? So you're just thinking their heart rate's not getting that high. Might not be. I think I think you can train yourself. You can definitely train yourself to be calmer. You can train everything to be instinctive. I would imagine for the boxer and for the fighter pilot um, that the boxer is still in that tunnel vision. You know, they're they're not aware of what's going on with the crowd. They're not thinking about what angle the um, the various judges are seeing of them, where the referee is in particular. They're just thinking about kicking that guy's ass. If they if, are, if, but. So here's an interesting question, and I don't know. The answer is that when I'm coaching Scrap in the ring, he still has the ability just to hear my voice. (laughs) You have got quite a unique voice. I do. But you know what I'm saying? It could be whatever, insert whatever coach's voice is there. But Scrap is, from what I've seen of Scrap, he is able to conserve that energy and maybe isn't hitting the heart rate i mean he was able to play with me you know i'd imagine he's able to still play with quite a lot of the opponents that he's fighting at his level i think he's that good right no i agree it's and, it's interesting concept i don't know and then at the end of the day i don't know if it matters at all quite honestly how many fights you know are really getting up to sustained levels of brutality you know someone like Mayweather is going to his corner after most rounds quite under control conserving energy you know there's fights obviously you know Mickey Ward years ago stuff like that where it is brutality for 12 rounds but well, that right against Satoru Gatti great fight some of the best fights in boxing history so, right most do not and see part of the show when I box I boxed for 20 30 rounds on Monday, I guess. And I get they weren't all world champions. All right, that's not the point. But how am I able to do that is because I'm extra- extraordinarily efficient. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So your right. your heart rate isn't hitting that those levels. No, nah, I could probably go to sleep. <laughs> you know, I, I'm kept kidding, but yeah, I mean that's that's what I'm saying. You know, I just I'm not overly concerned with them coming at me, you know. That's right. Right. It doesn't but, make me a bad answer. I've been there a long time. That's all. That was a good. That was a good point and a good question. I'll be interested to see like how that sort of evolves. All the, all the work that you're doing there. <laughs> point on loyalty. So it's a situation that Ooh. someone's going through. Over there. Might be. Might not. <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny. So so um, dedicated student. Uh, very fond of his instructor and he's felt the need to go and get some extra training in. So he's gone off to some other guy who in the, this particular discipline is maybe more well-rounded, has a bit more experience. And the instructor in, in questions kind of, I guess, been a bit hurt by it. And now, you know, that both sides aren't really getting on too well, etc. Yeah. I think we've kind of talked about cross-training, what happens when other people go to your gym. You know, how, how do you do these things? And, maintain relationships because at a certain stage every you know every young bird every chick has to go and fly the nest and I you know I had to do so to a certain extent to go and do the FMA stuff right um and you know Lack was happy for me to go and do my thing I've I've done a lot of training with you guys in the US but I think you know a a lot of other guys they they see these they see people as a threat you know how do you how do you get that balance right and, and both from the well, instructor's point of view and as a student? Right. So I think you know you should encourage your student to explore many possibilities, different instructors. Like when you come over, Dieter or whoever, I encourage guys to teach at my school. I encourage people to work with the different coaches to get a different perspective. The challenge lies in is that when they're the other instructor is diametrically opposed to your points of view and training and philosophy, that's where you'll you'll bang heads. Well, so if I have a fighter and I, he's training at me and I say, do it this way, this is something we do, and you do say something that's opposite, now can we? Can that student work in both schools and get make improvement? The answer is I don't think so because it's too opposite. Unless, of course, I'm going to Tom, my student's going to you because you're teaching him a type of kung fu, and we do it this way and that kung fu, and you can understand that. 
But if we're both trying to train the same fighter, it's different philosophies, strategies, and tactics that we're trying to employ. It becomes very difficult. Um, but you do want, the, but uh, subsequently you do want them to explore other possibilities and have other people come in. That's why having a hawk come in or go to train with Tim Tackett or sometimes another school because they're going to do something else. I, I think it can be good, but that equally can be challenging. I don't think that necessarily is loyalty based, though. Doesn't mean they're not loyal to you. You do get those individuals too who are chronic gym jumpers looking for the bigger and better deal. The grass is always greener. The tourists, as I referred to them in one show, which an Andy Jansen phrase. Right, right. And, and, and that's a problem too. Well, if I go to Tom's school, you know, I'll get my black belt quicker or that he's got ninja death skills. And so I'm going to go there. And then you go to get the ninja death skills and you find out they're not so ninja death skills, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I've had, by the way, because I've had guys, fighters, both men and women, who have been at my school and then have gone to other places to come back with their tail between their legs <laughs> and want me to allow them back in the kingdom. <laughs> off with their heads. Fuck them all. <laughs> no, but it's because they go, oh, it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. You know, because you often get that instructor too, by the way, which will promise you the world. If you only come with me, I'll give you a perfect example. This just happened not too long ago in my gym. So there was a coach. So I got my core coaches, who, which we are like family. We're really co close. Kind of there's this energy and there's this knowledge knowing that we work well together. There's a synergy. There's a magic that is beyond our conscious thought. We're not thinking that. It just works real well. Right? It's beautiful. And then um, a new guy came into the gym. And um, I knew the guy through the boxing world for years and wasn't particularly fond of him for some history, which doesn't matter what it is. But I, if I never saw him again, I'd be okay. <laughs> yeah. you know, somehow I'd get through life. So he's at my gym, and I, and I decided, and I made note of this, a mental note, and I decided to sit back and go, I'm just going to observe this guy. So we went to some fights, the state championships a couple weeks ago, uh, and we had two of our guys win the state championship. One guy lost. But he brings me, he goes, he calls me over, goes, Jim, he goes, you watch, man. Now that I'm part of the team, we'll win anything. Kind of a thing. It was kind of like a backhanded kind of thing, which sort of was taking a, a cut at my other coaches. Do you feel that if you heard that? Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, that hasn't happened to me, but I, no, no, I, but I, if, I think if that's he, what he's he, getting Okay, at. you and me are the coaches, right? And this other guy comes on, and you're, you're in the gym, and, it, and this guy comes in, he goes, now that I'm aboard, you know, We'll really start winning. Jim's coaching. Essentially, was saying Jim's coaching ain't all that good. Yeah, right. That, that's how I took it. it. Took it was rather interesting takes and others at divisiveness in my own gym, which I got to get rid of. I was on topic, but um, yeah, no, that's a tough subject. Uh, God damn, I, I like guys to train with other guys, but I think they have to have that big vision. Has to be the same. Yeah. And if it's not, it's tough. By the way, that's one of the reasons I couldn't years early on. I couldn't train with a traditional karate guy. It was very difficult for me. They needed to have an open mind and, and a heart because I just saw right through their bullshit. And I was very young. You know, how do I go back and just learn this martial art? E look, even doing some other styles where I tried to be purest, pure and, and true to their art, I had very, it was very difficult. Because when I asked this individual this particular art I was doing, I'm going to leave out the names and the styles for political correctness. Uh, I asked him a particular question. Well, why would you do it that way? Which I, you know, now if I ask you why you're doing it that way, you should be able to explain to me why you're doing it that way. And th that was not the explanation. The explanation was, well, that's how so-and-so wanted me to do it. Which in my mind, I ex my head exploded. Yeah. I was like, that is the worst answer on the planet. It is. So so that means they're, they were a replicator. I can relate to that. We've, we've had similar conversations with Pat. We had a guest on, I won't name them, but it was, it was the one thing that this particular individual I didn't kind of really agree with. They were talking about certifying someone for being around a long time and for um, showing various qualities, but not necessarily the right skill level and the ability to fight. And they're saying they probably would have a good skill level if they'd been around for a long time. But, um, and, 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 you know, it may what they'd said may not tie up with what they actually think, etc. But um, that, that's roughly what was said. Have you had experience of guys, say, for example, you know, they've been around so long, 
at certain stage, you know, they they want to get recognised and they want to they want to they they feel like you know, and I think most people would feel if you've done a system for ten years and you put a certain amount of effort into it, then really you should be able to get up to like a sort of black belt standard. However, right. they've got two left feet. It's not really sinking in certain messages. You know, how have you managed that? Have you have you felt have people gone away from you for not hitting the standards of? Um. Wow. <laughs> that's how I'm living that now. Uh, that's a tough one, brother. You know, I have guys who have been around for a while and probably know enough to be that black belt in that particular style or system, whatever it might be. Uh, their skill set is not what it once was. They're a little older. They've been around. How do you do that? Do you give them, like, for lack of a better word, the honorary black belt? like an honorary doctorate from Oxford University, you know, that's a tough one because there's a lot of history and political. Do they know enough? Yeah. Can they perform it like they used to know? Where is that line? And I do struggle with that because I do have some individuals who are at that level. Yeah. I, mean, and I don't, I, and to be honest, I don't know what to do. And that's just being brutally honest as a human being. You know, what do I do? Because they're, by the way, they will never be that A plus person now, and they probably were never at best on their best day. They may have been a B or a C plus. Yeah. And now, so if you give it to them, now does everyone who graduates from Oxford get an A? <laughs> uh, a first, I think it's called <laughs> university. But yeah, I know what you mean. What did I call it? First two one two two third. That's that's the scoring over here. Okay, well, ours is not. Ours is A, B, C, D, and F, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, right. have, that, so, we have that school. Okay, well, there we go. So we're in school. So does that, you know, can that person pass that class with a D? You know, 60%, 70% of expert, and, and they can. You know, um, but would you give them a background? And that's up to that individual practitioner. That's up to that individual art or system or style to make that determination. There are a lot of guys who've got lots of ranks through just being around. That right? for me is not the right answer. So the answer, so so let's. I mean, no one cares about this, but us. But that guy who comes to you in ten years from now, who's been with you for ten years, has never gotten any rank. <laughs> what do you do with this guy? You can't shoot him. I guess you could, but we we, we had gradings the other day, and there's um couple of guys some people you hit like a glass ceiling right and in order for them to push through that glass ceiling they're going to have to up their game and because they've hit a certain standard that without doing a lot more training or maybe doing some other arts or fundamentally changing some of the ways they think or the way they go about things because you know, you, you give them the same messages, yet the, the behaviours don't necessarily change. Right. And unless they do that, then the ceiling will remain above them. And then sooner or later, they're going to get frustrated. And, you know, they're good, they're good, good guys, but you can't lower your standards because that's a really, really dangerous road. I agree. I agree. I'm not saying, yeah. I, but I do struggle with the, hey, they have been around the law, but if you give it away, it's not worth it. I got you. I'll give you an example. You know, Steve, great guy. He started training with me in mid-90s. I just finally, I don't know if you knew this, I just finally gave him his uh, full instructorship at JKD like 20 years later, 23 <laughs> years later. Now, Steve deserved it 20 years ago, you know? It was funny. And so other guys have passed him multiple days. And Steve is uh, an excellent JKD guy and has been for years. But I just kind of slipped my mind and I just never did it. And yeah. Steve goes to me, Jim. He calls me Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. I go, what's Steve? He goes, hey, you know what? I was looking at my paperwork and I never got my full instructorship. But I said, I start belly laughing. I go, you're fucking kidding me. He goes, no. I go, are you sure? He goes, Jimmy, I'm telling you. I said, well, boy, that was a fuck up. I said, let me call the boss, meaning Sifu Tackett. Yeah. And said, said, Tim, Steve never got his full instructorship. Steve never got his full instructorship. He he thought he had it, too. That does happen, by the way. And and an interesting thing is, so Steve got his full instructorship a couple months ago. Yeah, he got a a certificate when I was, when uh, I got my first certificate, which was like 2011 down in uh, West Palm. Apprentice. 
I'm talking about the full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying he got A1. I, I, right, I, know, right. I know he's been on the journey. And, and, right. And so and it's interesting. On the flip side of that whole discussion was this guy had been with me for 23 years. And after 23 years, he finally asks, he goes, you think I can get my black belt? <laughs> uh, God, I should have been charging him the whole time. What do you think? I could have been fucking retired. And, uh, but that was funny. So, uh, but that's funny because you do get the guy, I don't know if this is part of your conversation, that, by the way, he, um, you know, asked day one, how long does it take to be a black belt? You know, how long does it take to fight? And those are questions you can't yeah. really ask. I mean, there's, okay, it might take five years to get my black belt grading in, in rapid our knees. That's if you've got your shit together and you're putting in the time. That's right. And that's not expedited. That's putting in hard work and stuff because O'Malley's not going to let you go through none of that shit. Or, or Andy, none of that crap. You know, you got to be top, top of your game to get that. So that would be if you, if you were an A student coming on a regular basis for five years, you could potentially that's get right. your black That's black. right. So that's not giving away. That's, hey, this is the hard work routine. But that's pretty funny. So it says I haven't said it. congratulations to Steve <laughs> for getting it finally. Took long enough. What took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> um, because I don't, on, on, on another note, I don't know where I was, as I really don't focus on grading and I don't focus on rank on any level in anything I do, which could be to my demise. I have it all written down. It's all done. I never talk about rank. I never talk about anything. I think I've only given a couple of people in the history of the world a, a, a little bit of rank. And that's not because it's not important. I just, well, it's not important to me anymore. Uh, it's it just that I don't, it's not the major focus of my training. I had been training 25 years probably before I first got my black belt. But like that was training with, if my memory serves me correctly, I had trained with Hawk for, I'll bet you, 15 years before I get like a basic instructorship with him. Now, let me explain that. Because <laughs> I was out teaching seminars with him. I just never took the test and never cared about it. And Hawk said, you know, Jim, you probably should get some rank. And I said, do you think so? Because, yeah, I said, all right, let's take the test right now. <laughs> and I, was, I just did it, went through the test, you know, hours and days of testing, which because I knew it all. I've been doing it. But I just it was not my focus. My focus was the journey and the under, and, and really knowing it. I was never a good test taker. I wanted to know and internalize that material. I didn't want to study the material so I could pass the test in one magical moment the next i wanted it to be a part of me does that make sense i can 100 percent relate to what you mean and coming from like the jkd world in in the wednesday night group it was very much uh right you're good enough and you get the certificate and you're, they're watching you training all the time and it's it's one way of doing things going well, that's over... how bjj was for years not in every bjj no, operation no, back when i was doing it with the powers that be, that's how it was done. Yeah, my, my, I, was, I was talking about my friend Paul who does it in Ireland and he, their thing is you have to beat people at your belt level to in order to progress. So so um, right. without winning, you don't progress. And what some people will do, a bit like golf bandits, they'll stay at white belt level so they'll win a lot of competitions before progressing up to blue and, and further up the chain. I don't know. Anyway... Um, I can't remember where I was going with that, but um, the, ah, I'm sure. It was <laughs> no, I think I think going over to the FMA world it, it, or, or going over, doing the rapid harness testing it's put me through grueling three day gradings and the pressure, the kind of slight kind of feeling sick with nerves in the morning before you start. Once I hit the mat, I've always performed reasonably well, and the, f the first couple of times. I struggled more and the reason was because I really wasn't enjoying it and what I've tried to do the last couple of times is go there and do it with a smile on my face right. and not worry quite so much about the result just see it as a an opportunity to understand where you're at and what your deficiencies are and what I felt in terms of I, w I would have been disappointed had I've obviously failed my black belt in the Philippines mainly because I've told so many people that I'd got was going to the Philippines to do my black belt but what I did find is that I performed as I expected to on every assessment criteria. So the things I was weak on, I performed a bit weaker on. And guess what? Yeah. Those are the things that when I, when I do my um, first degree black belt next year, those are the things that I'm going to uh, work on and improve. 
and then everything else I knew I'd do well. And I, I remember feeling particularly nervous before the fight day. Then I kind of reminded myself, look, fighting is what you're good at. Um, this is the bit you you enjoy and tend to excel at. You've got through the technical bit. You've got through the hard right. bit. Now just go and enjoy yourself. And and um, and again, that was useful. Right. No, no, I hear I hear That's great. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.